This time we'll have the reading of our scripture. 1 Peter, 2nd chapter, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God bless each and every one of you this morning, my son, and the Church of the Brethren, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For the next several weeks, I'm going to be preaching my sermons backwards, meaning to say that I'm going to start with the finished product this morning and end up in a couple of weeks of how we got to the finished product. It's kind of going to be reflected in the scripture passage this morning as in 1 Peter, or sermon text, I'm going to start at the end of the verse and work my way backwards to the top of the verse. And as I was thinking about it, I might just say work my way up to the top of the verse, but in my mind it was going backwards. You should also see this reflected on the board here that I'm going to work backwards and uh, I'm old school Pentecostal. I don't like using notes. So these things come from my mind and my heart and my studies. And so some of the things I say may be up there, may not, but it kind of gives you a general idea where I'm going. I haven't completely lost my mind in doing this, but I do feel like God has put something on my heart about us as a body of believers, and that's the direction I'm going to go. So pray I don't mess anything up, and you say you have lost your mind, Brian. <laughs> New recruits uh, joining the military before during basic training, those who were overweight, you know they signed their contract on one day, they get ready to go through basic training and they haven't did all the things they need to do uh, to be ready for basic training, so they bloomed out a little bit. Those who could not make the PT test and the push-ups, sit-ups, or the two-mile run, where if a soldier was out in the field and he was learning what to do in combat and he flunked one test three times, they were sent to what was called the recycling program. Nobody wanted to be recycled in the military. It was embarrassing, and it just didn't look right. All the ones who were recycled were put in these banana, yellow-looking uniforms, and you knew who they were. They were a separate company all to themselves, and they were marched around the whole place where we did basic training so that the drill sergeants and the other soldiers could mock them for being in a position that they were in. I guess it's to help their build their mental attitude or whatever, but it was very embarrassing and humiliating to be on what they called the fat farm. You just didn't want to go there and have to be recycled. I was in category two. I weighed a whopping 120 pounds. I could not do the push-ups necessary to go through basic training. So in my first test, I didn't do very good. I might have done five. Maybe done five. So Drill Sergeant Williams and Drill Sergeant Maynard called me out, took me over to see the first sergeant. The first sergeant calls me into the office with the two drill sergeants and says, get down and give me 20, soldier. I got down. As I got to number five, my hands started going like this. <laughs> I wasn't going to fall because I was intimidated by these cats. So my hand's going like this, down in the prone position, push-up position, thinking, Lord Jesus, please let me get up from this spot. This ain't working. But no, no dude has me there. He looks down at me, the first sergeant, 
And he looks at me like this and he says, uh, you have to be the weakest. You got to have to walk in the military. You feel like I've never seen in my life, sir. He still has me in the position. I'm not allowed to get up. And by this time, my arms are really dangerous like this. He gets up and he asks Drill Sergeant Williams. He says, Drill Sergeant Williams, can you do anything with this soldier? Drill Sergeant Williams looks at the first sergeant and says, I'm going to tell you right now, first sergeant, by the end of the cycle, this soldier will be a lean, mean fighting machine, and I will have him tight, and I will have him straight. So Drill Sergeant Williams took it upon himself to call me out, to embarrass me. We were in a formation. If I was coming from the chow hall, I don't know how he seen me, but I was coming from the chow hall. If I was waiting in line to get my hair cut, and back then the men and women were separate. So you had a company of women over here, and you're with your guys over here. No matter where I was at, in what situation, drill sharp women would say, Private Gavaron, because nobody knows how to say my last name. My family don't know how to say our last name, so whatever you say, dude's fine to me. Private Gavaron, step out, give me five. Private Gavron, step out, give me 20. Private Gavron, step out, give me 30. I don't know how he's sitting here, spotted me, because I stayed in the middle of the platoon. I didn't want nobody to notice me. In the military, you just stay right there so nobody notices you, so you don't get embarrassed or called out. But he was always calling me out. I was embarrassed and humiliated that I couldn't do what was required to be in the United States Army. I would guess that being called out is not a fun thing. For the most part, when people are called out, it's usually you put your head down and say, oh, what did I do wrong? How did I mess up? Why are you calling me out? It's never really seen in a good light. And yet Peter says here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, uh, you are called out. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, you, God has called you out. This kind of has a meaning back in that day of being called out from your home, your place of comfort, your place of security, your family, things that are comfortable you. He says, you've been called out of this comfort zone, and you've been called out into the public sphere with other people who have left their homes, their comfort, and their families to join this new group of people. He says, you have been called out from there into the public domain so that everybody can see you and see who you are. Abraham was called out when God said, leave your family, leave your friends, I'm going to show you where you want to go to. Children of Israel were called out, their place of comfort. When Jesus came and he preached, he called the disciples out of their home, away from their families. He called them out of a place of comfort to a place he was going to take them. When the disciples on Pentecost went and preached the gospel, People were going to their temple, what today was called churches. They were going to their jobs. They were doing life as normal. The gospel was preached, and they are called out from comfort into a public domain with other people who are called out. What are you doing here? I don't know. I heard this message, and something touched my heart. What are you doing here? I don't know. I heard this message, and something touched my heart, and I had to see what was going on in my heart. They were called out of their place of comfort. But then he says, you've been called out of darkness. 
no matter what your life in life. Darkness is not fun. The dark is cold. You trip in the dark, you fall in the dark, you're looking all around. Darkness is not a good thing to be in. You don't know where you're going in the dark. Now, it's getting Halloween time, and people my age these haunted houses come up. Everybody wants to go to the haunted house, so you go get your girlfriend and show her that you're a man, that you can go right through that house. So as you're outside the haunted house, you're all lined up and everybody's bragging how this is going to be. You hear all the screaming going on in the haunted house, but you say, that ain't going to be me. I'm going to walk right through that joker. You get up closer to the door. You're ready to go. All of a sudden, you get to the door, and the devil's right there to take you to his haunted house. Now, I mean, when I say devil, just your guide, I'm just using that as a symbol. This dude's going to lead you to the haunted house. You're in the front. You think you're ready. Now, all of a sudden, maybe I ain't so ready because it seems to be a little dark back there, and there is a lot of screaming going on. I might not want to go to this haunted house. But he opens that door for you and says, come on in. So you're the first guy to go in. Now your girlfriend, everybody's pushing you. Go, 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 go. There ain't nothing to be afraid of. Well, how do you know you're in the back? I'm the first dude going in the darkness. So you go in there, you go in there, and everybody behind you starting to scream and yell, and nothing's going on yet. But the darker the room gets, now you're wondering, where is it going to come from? Is this person going to come from the side? Is he going to come from the front? Is he going to come up out of the ground? Will he have the chainsaw in his head? Where is the evil going to come from? And it doesn't matter that you're looking all around. It hits you. You don't know how it hits you. And now you're scared to death. And everybody behind you starts holding each other's hips. And now the girls are down here like this holding him for the boyfriend. They're screaming. They're screaming and yelling. And the guy, he starts yelling and screaming. They're saying, you need to go on. And you're saying, I ain't going on. It's dark and it's nasty in there and my heart is troubled. So some people are looking up this way. Where is it going to come from? And it doesn't matter where it comes from. It scares you just the same because it's dark and it's evil and it's nasty. So you go to the haunted house. You come out with your girlfriend and your gang. Well, that wasn't bad at all. Man, I made that. That wasn't no problem at all. Oh, really? Well, that was a lie. But you know what you did? You came out of that darkness and outside it wasn't so dark. There might have been a couple of lights out here. There was other kids laughing and carrying on. All of a sudden you were in light and you could see what was going on. The dark is not a good place to be in. Ever a good place to be in. But Peter says you've been called out of this darkness into his marvelous light. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. One day the light of Christ shined in your heart. He shined in your soul and he changed you forever. And all the darkness around you in that moment of time, it just disappeared. And did you not feel free? How did he do that? It's just promise in the Old Testament. He says, one day I'm going to take my law and my commandments and I'm not just going to put them on these tables of stone, but I'm going to write them in your very heart. I'm going to change your will. I'm going to change your mind and I'm going to change your heart and you're going to want to walk in my way. And that light is marvelous and glorious when he makes a change in you. He says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. And behold, all things become new. 
His light in our hearts, His light in our soul is marvelous. And now you and I are no longer in the darkness. We see what's going on. We're being led. We're being guided. He's directing us. And He's always out there. And I know life hits us. I understand we question God. And we say, this don't make no sense. As you walk with Him, as you follow Him, uh, it doesn't get easier because more questions keep coming. And all of a sudden, the darkness starts coming around you again. And your heart is hurting. And you're really troubled down deep. Why, God? Why does this happen to happen to me? Why does this happen to happen to my family? Why are you doing this to me? You said you love me and you care for me. And that darkness just comes upon you really fast, really hard, and really heavy. But in that darkness, there's that little baby light that's still down there. And he says, come. Follow me. Look for me. It's dark around you. You admit that. It's trouble around you. But I'm here. How does that work out in your life? Because he still has your heart. He's still tugging on you. He's still calling you. He's still working in your life. Even when it's dark already, that light is calling you and saying to you, come, stay with me and follow me. We don't see it all clear in our lives. Oh, we know the light has touched us. The light has changed us. The light has moved us. And that light is marvelous. And we are going to follow that light. And because God has done these things, he said, you are to show forth the praises of him. Who he is. What he's done in your life. By your attitude. By your action. By who you are. You show forth his praises in the public square. Why are you like this? Don't people come up and ask you who are lost? Say, will you pray for me about this? Will you pray for my family? We are struggling. We are hurting. And we know you're a person of God. Have they not done that to you? And ask you to pray on their behalf? It's because you show forth his praises of what he's done in your life and how he's ministered to you and how he's changed you. People look to that and they see that. You show forth his praises in the public square. But you also show forth his praises every time you come to worship. When you come through that door, you're saying, today, I love you. Today, I thank you. Today, I want to honor you. Today, I'm going to worship you because you've been so good to me. You offer him praise by your giving. You offer him praise in the word. You offer him praise when you're teaching Sunday school. You offer him praise when you're leading worship. You offer him praise when you clean the church, when you sweep the floor, when you clean the toilets, you offer him praise when the whole outside looks beautiful. No matter what you do, when you do it for the Lord Jesus Christ, you're offering him the praise that he so rightly deserves. And because we do honor him and give him praise, we are called a peculiar people. Now, there's all kinds of peculiar people. You ask somebody in another country, they'll say Americans are peculiar. You ask an American about this fifth country, there are some weird people over there. They don't know what they're doing. And every facet of life, there is peculiar people that do crazy things, that do off-the-wall things. You know, they might paint their hair purple, green. They might dress in a certain way. They might not dress at all. They have an attitude made with their community. But they're peculiar. means they're different. So there's nothing about being peculiar that makes it special. But here what I'm talking about is being peculiar is 
stress. So if he asks you something, he has a right to do it. If he asks you to do something for his glory and his honor, he has the right to do it because you and I belong to him. We are his possession. We are a peculiar people. And because we're peculiar, he says we're a holy nation. Separated. Sanctified. Set apart to do his work. Peter here in 1 Peter at the beginning talks to all these people coming around from all these territories and counties. He says you come from all these different walks of life. From all these different nations. But you are a separate nation. You're not your nation anymore. You're a nation bought by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to be separated from all the other nations of the world. Many America, Russia, Japan, all the people who get saved and come to Christ, we make a nation, a separated, holy nation for the glory of God because we are His people bought by Him. Are we not all listening here this morning? I bet some of you think that dude's peculiar. He's weird. They asked one of our youth men tonight, what do you think about Brian? He's definitely different. You know, I probably thought the same thing coming to this church. That's a peculiar church. I'm not sure about this. But are we not working together? Has he not called us out? Has he not touched our hearts? Has he not worked in our lives and brought us together as a peculiar people to be his holy, separated people for his glory and for his honor? We are a holy nation amongst all kinds of believers in the world. We all make up the nation of God. Because he's called us, he's used us, and he wants us to serve and follow him. As a holy nation, he says, we're a royal priesthood. When we come to church, Christ is a great high priest. But when we come to church, do we not offer prayers individually? Do we not offer prayers corporately? Do we not sacrifice to the king of kings and lord of lords in our praise? This is all things the priest does. The priest was in the holiest of holies. He made intercession for the people. He had to offer his own sacrifice for his own sin. Then he interceded for the people of God. And he took care of the temple that was around him. That was his job to do. He was the priest that represented the people of God. We do that this morning in our service. In all aspects of our worship service, we serve as his priests. And give him the praise that he deserves. But we're not only doing it in this sanctuary. We also do it in our lives. See, the high priest, he wore a lot of Ghibli boot stuff, a lot of gold and things and big hats. And everybody can see, oh, there goes the priest, the man of God. But he lives in the heart through the power of the Spirit. So when we go out, we intercede for people. This is what Peter says you do. You intercede for governments, for leaders. You intercede on other people's behalf who are lost and undone. You pray for them. And you ask God to withhold, withhold your judgment on your life. Withhold your wrath and please grant them your goodness through the blood that was shed. You intercede on their behalf and you act on their behalf as a priest of God that God will touch them and save their souls. We are a royal priesthood. Then he says, you're a chosen generation. Same as he chose Abraham, the children of Israel, the disciples. Jesus says, many are called. He went out and he preached to the many and called them, but not everyone accepted him. 
But those that came to him and said, I hear your message. I see your life. I know you're a life-changing God. I accept you. He chose them to be his disciples at that time. Today, he chooses you and he chooses me. We are his generation. The ones that he chooses to serve him and follow him. He chose us. But he made something wonderful of my life. I had nothing to give the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I was rotten, dirty, and nasty. But he saved my soul and he said, I chose you. The old potter just got us. And he says, I'm going to make something that little ball of clay. And I'm going to start just working on you, young man. I'm just going to start working on you, young lady. And I'm just going to start making you and who I want you to be. We are that chosen generation. Maybe you ask, well, what am I chosen for? Well, I just listed your things that were chosen for right there as I work this thing backwards and up. But what about this? One of the great concerns amongst you guys, other preachers in the community, and basically churches all over the nation is, there is no young people. There's no young people coming into the church. Maybe you're the chosen generation for that. Come on, some of you guys are old school. You've been in church a long time. You know the function, the business of the church. You know what happens in the church. You know what men's successful. You know what ain't. Now we're talking about natural things there. But you're old school. You've been around the block. You know what it takes to reach a young person. It's in your experience. It's who you are. Maybe we are called for that here and now. That there is a God. That he reigns in glory. That will save your soul. He will touch your life. And he will change you. Why would you want to go out into the world when in our families we have lost people? Do we not? We have people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. We want them to come in and they're all around us. Now, Jesus said, it's hard to minister to your family because I don't say them one against the other. But why not just start there, man? That's really hard for me to do uh, because of things that went on in my life. And I'm trying. And they, they make fun because they say I'm too hardcore. You know? Things they want to do. I just, I just, I come at them pretty hard. And I shouldn't do that. I should come at a little more grace. But maybe we're the generation. Maybe we need to go reach them. Why are they, we asking them to come here? We got to go to them, man. We got to reach them. We got to show him what he's done in our life, how he's moved us, how he's loved us, how he's changed us, and what he's done. Maybe we're the generation that needs to do that. He has called us. He's chosen us. He has brought us together to do his work. Had I known, when Drill Sergeant Williams was embarrassing me and calling me out, had I known that when I came to the end of my cycle, I could do 76 push-ups in two minutes, 126 sit-ups in two minutes, and I could run uh, two two, in two minutes, I ran a six-minute mile. 12 minutes and 28 seconds. Had I known he was able to do that, had I known that when I graduated, I could be like those young bucks now, you know, the dudes that got the arms and they wear the super tight shirt so you can see these ends here and this right here. You know, nowadays, if I wear a super tight shirt, all you see is the flood coming down. But back then, I got one of those tight shirts. It was here. It was here. 
get that government peanut butter. We'll help you. In Bible college, just like I was. These people become my friends. Now, they say I redneck their kids because I took the truck pools, tractor pools, and derbies. And they weren't geared that way. But this was my best friend. When I was in seminary, his wife had a cabin just for Brian. I was allowed after school to go to their house. He had 998 TV channels. They would go out every Saturday. And my mind and my heart was warped from all the study. Gave me the key to the house, hand the call, are you ever coming home? Are you crazy? I got chocolates, I got cokes, and I got 900 channels. I'm sitting right here on this couch. They took care of me. They loved me and helped me and my family get through school on $338 every two weeks. The condition was, when you see our life pool in the driveway, you need to be gone. Let us know probably about 2 o'clock in the morning, I go back to my house. Had I known that, had I known God would put people in my life like that to help me and I could help them, had I known that he would give me the opportunity to be a pastor here, had I known these things and he would bring me home, allow me to pastor this congregation, which has always been in my heart to do, in a traditional setting, in a traditional building, in a traditional way, had I would have known all my journey along the way. I might not question God, like, what are you doing in my life, man? My kids are a walking ER appointment. We ain't got no money. Me and my wife's fighting all the time. But you called me and you chose me. Why are you putting me through all this? If I would have known what the end result was going to be, maybe I wouldn't have acted like a knucklehead. But you know what, believers, we don't know the end result. Paul says to the Corinthians, you see now through a class darkly. You don't see the whole picture. But one day, it's just going to pop to you. And by George, your heart is going to be free. My heart is freer now than it's ever been in my life. Had I known this, I might not forget why I did all the work in the church. You know, all the things I did in the church. Why did I do the work? Why did I go preach to the shutters? Why did I go visit? Why did I teach Sunday school? Why did I get involved in the church? Uh -huh. Because I loved him. I was grateful for what he'd done on me on the cross of Calvary. I had forgotten what he had done in my life. And because I had forgotten, I just walked away. I had forgotten that I do the work because of what he does for he, me. He loved me. He cared for me. He watched over me. He protected me. And I forgot that love. And because I forgot that love, I quit doing the work. Had I known all those things, I would have done the work. I do the work out of love for him and gratefulness to him of what he's done for me. But I live I live for his return. The Bible says one day he's going to appear in the clouds. And I'm going to be right here and he's going to come back and he's going to change me and he's going to translate me and he's going to turn me into the perfect being that he wants for all mankind. One day he's coming back for you and me and that's what we should live for. That he's coming back for us. He loves us. He cares for us. And that's why we live for him to one day 
church of the brethren. You are the church of the living God called for this time, called for this moment to be his priest, to be his nation, to be what he wants you to be. He's called you out of darkness. He's called you to his light. He has touched you. He has saved you. He has changed you. And he has moved you. And don't ever forget what he's done in your life. He's an awesome God. He is alive and he's well inside of you. Don't hinder. Don't forsake the work that he wants to do in us as a body of believers right here at this church in Jesus' name. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I do want to ask you to forgive me Lord, because I didn't know and I didn't understand. And I'm sorry. And I didn't love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I didn't do the work out of love and joy and gratefulness. And I ask for forgiveness of that. And help me to remember that you are coming back one day. And I live for your return. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I pray if any of us in here, Lord, have forgotten your goodness or forgotten your grace, who've just started to carry on and forgotten what you've done in our hearts, I ask you to touch us now. Touch our hearts. Touch our minds that we would do and be what you want us to out of a free heart and a grateful heart. Be glorified in everything we say. Be glorified in everything we do. May it please you and may it honor you and draw us to you and move us out to do the work that you want us to do. I ask for it in Jesus' name.